If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Isla Orty. Isla's from the UK and she's an inspirational coach with a vast and varied experience. So if I say a lifetime of horses, she's not just had a lifetime of horses, she's done quite a lot. She's had 20 years running a BHS approved establishment. She's also renowned for international experience in both youth development coach education. And as well as all that, she's an experienced dressage judge. She's been a board member of British Dressage um, and was responsible for the under-25 development. And she's also a selector for the European teams for youth dressage. We're going to talk also to Isla about some books and um, as well as being a fellow of the British Horse Society, she's also got an education degree. So quite interested in talking to Isla. I haven't talked to her for oh, two years, maybe three years now. I've known of her for quite a long time since I started reading her books and then one of my coaches was quite a good friend of Isla's, so you sort of heard about her a bit secondhand before I actually met her. Now, how are you today, Isla? I'm very good. Well, I am good, actually, but I've got a bit of a scratchy throat, so if I sound rather deep-voiced, I'm sorry about it. <laughs> no worries. You're coming through loud and clear here. So that's good. Good, good. Now, Isla, we normally start off with a favourite quote. You know, we just find that that, uh, your favourite quote, just gets people to know you a little bit sooner, a little bit better earlier. Well, I love quotes, um, so they do vary a little bit, but um, I've picked out a couple that, that really I think um, I probably have lived my life by. The one is, and I'm not sure who this is by, but the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Mm. Um, the second one, which is a Winston Churchill quote, which may be familiar to many people, is success is not final, failure is not fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. And I think that for horse people is really valuable because the failures are much greater than the successes. Um, and I think the failures on the whole probably teach us more, not that okay. we like that way but certainly they teach us more and I think if the highs weren't so good we would all give up because we have so many failures but the highs are so good aren't they yeah absolutely mm, mm. and we have to value the highs you know so sometimes they can be very fleeting and and we have to just savor them and be able to draw back on them when the failures come <laughs> yes 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 and then look to the future and say right well this is what I'm striving for, and I will just keep being persistent. So that exactly. perseverance, yep, yep. Now, did you start off in a stable yard, ride, you know, working for lessons, doing that, or were you from a, a family with horses? Just tell us a little bit no, about No, I was completely non-horsey background. So mm -hmm. my parents, although my mother had ridden sporadically as a child, she'd never really 
Um, my grandfather um, was involved with Shell and he traveled all over the world and therefore they never really settled anywhere. And so mum never really got to indulge her love of horses. Um, and my father had very little time for horses. My, I come from a medical background. My father was a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor. My uncle was a doctor. I come from a very medical orientated background and and horses were not on the agenda. <laughs> so we, my first memory with horses was we, we had a holiday home down in the south of England at a place called Bracklesham Bay mm-hmm. um, that was by my aunt. And we always used to go there for a month in the summer. And there was a riding school down the road. And at the age of four, um, we had, we, my sister and I, who was, she was five years older than me, we started having riding lessons um, in Bracklesham Bay. Okay. And I used to ride for a month at Bracklesham Bay. And then for 11 months, I didn't ride at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. So that was my first experience with horses, having a, a week, well, not even a, a, a daily riding lesson for a month um, at the age of four. What do you think your first real lesson was? You know, sometimes we have lessons with horses early and we it's something we remember for the rest of our life. It might have been a good experience or it might have been a character-building experience. Do you remember the first, you know, or just an early lesson that you thought, I'll always remember that and I'll always teach my students not to do that or to do that? Well, yeah, that's a that's a good question, actually. I mean, I I certainly was too young to to put the connotations on it, but probably when I was about five, between five and six, I would think it was probably the second year that we'd ridden at, at Buckersham Bay, and we used to ride on the beach, uh, and I still couldn't canter, and I really wanted to canter, um, but I wasn't terribly. I, I I loved the riding, but I wasn't probably very brave at the age of five and a half. And we went on the beach, a whole crowd of us, and something startled the, the ponies, and they bolted. Mm. And I remember galloping down the beach as a very small child on a pony called Trixie, who looked after me very well, hurtling towards the breakwaters, thinking, what do we do when we get to the breakwaters? Because not only can I not wow. cancer, but I jump either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think, you know, that was my earliest... Uh, experience of being really very frightened on a horse, but mm-hmm. hugely exhilarated as well. Um, and my mother's whole ethos, whenever I, you know, I mean, it, it, when I was seven, I was then allowed to start riding locally. And so between four and seven, I only rode when I was on holiday. From the age of seven, I used to have weekly lessons at the riding school. And whenever I had a, a, a a failure whenever I fell off or whenever I found a pony difficult and I used to go home and, and whinge, as children do, um, my mother used to say, well, that's fine. If you don't like it, darling, give up. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, yes. And you thought of the highs rather than the lows. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's no way I was going to give up. <laughs> but, Isla, I have to, have to take you back to Trixie. What happened when you got to the breakwater? Uh, well, fortunately, they all shuddered to a stop before we got to the breakwater. <laughs> Very grateful. <laughs> good, good. And um, your family of doctors, did they expect you to be a doctor? Yes, they mm. certainly did, yes. And, and um, my sister had no intentions of being a doctor either. So um, she went off to Edinburgh and studied and actually then married a lawyer and, and um, 
so went completely away from anything to do with medicine. And, and I think I was dad's last hope, really. But <laughs> it, it was never something I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and so from that point of view, I hope I wasn't a disappointment to him. God rest his soul. But, but um, he certainly, he, he instilled in me a commitment and a work ethic. And one of the things he he said to me when he was probably in his 70s and he was still working uh, and I was, I don't know, whatever I was, 20-something. Um, and we used to say to him, Dad, why don't you spend more time on the golf course? You know, you don't need to still be working as hard as you're working. And he looked at me passionately and he said to me, when I don't get up in the morning and want to be a better doctor, I shall stop working. Mm. And I thought, what a strange thing to say. But actually, that how I live my life. When I don't wake up in the morning and want to be better than I was yesterday, I shall stop doing it. And I completely understand what drove him now because it's that that passion to want to be better than you were, however small that that drive might be, and that's what drives me. Mm, mm. Now, I'm sure the conversation when you told him that you were going to have a career with horses you know, I'm thinking about careers and how they change and there wouldn't have been the variety of careers there are now. You know, there's quite a variety was, of careers with horses. There was nothing. Mm. It was absolutely, I mean, when I say nothing, absolutely minimal opportunities to make a career in the horse industry unless you came from a very wealthy horsey background where you'd had horses in your upbringing and you then just progressed on through uh, and and um you know bank of mum and dad were able to finance you with horses for as long as you chose to be a competitive rider mm. um and no it, it you know i've i've been in the industry now oh gosh it's scary i'm into my fifth decade of working in the industry i went into horses when i was 19 when i left left school and and didn't go to university. Um, and, um, you know, it's 45, 46 years ago. And, and the whole scene was completely different in those days in that you rode as a child and you, you know, had opportunities as a child through Penny Club or possibly having your own horses at home because you lived on a farm. And then you got a proper job. Yes. <laughs> you yep, yep. didn't go into horses as a career. Um mm. And, um, I mean, I was fortunate in that I, um, the British Horse Society were establishing uh, post-war as an organization that saw the opportunity for um, the development of the leisure industry, whereas pre-war and, and sort of up to the war, um, the orientation of, of equestrian had always been military. And if you look at the way the sport developed um, through the Olympics, you'll see that I think um, sort of until the mid-1930s or, or maybe even later than that, women weren't allowed to ride in the Olympics yes. because yep. there were only male riders and they were military people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, military origins um, were very prevalent until uh, post-war. And then post-war... Um, the British Horse Society recognised that that there was going to be a boom in in the leisure side of the use of horses because they were obviously no longer used 
from the military point of view, or minimally. Um, and and so the British Shore Society established the instructor program. Um, and in those days, there was the assistant instructor, the full instructor, and then the fellowship, and that was all. There were mm-hmm. no sort of stepping Intermediate, yep, 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 yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's revolutionary now in terms of the opportunities for people who think they want to work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say think, it, it is still a very challenging environment to be in because horses will never be looked after by computers. Um, you know, they will always have a mind of their own and, and need 24-hour you know, 365-day care. Um, and so in our highly mechanized world these days where everybody wants everything instantly, you know, still the, the workforce in the horse industry um, is, is variable and, and some youngsters think they want to work with horses but probably don't spend their entire life as... I have, and several of my colleagues have, because mm-hmm. uh, it's so challenging. You've talked about, and we're still talking about going into the horse industry. I'd like you to think of it as a bigger industry now, and the variety of jobs there are, not just you know, not just sort of a very narrow pathway. And you've talked yeah. about commitment, work ethic, passion to be better. Is there anything else that they need? What else would you say that they need? Well, I I would list passion as primary. Okay. Total dedication and and commitment to the horse. You know, I mean, <laughs> my husband always laughs at me because when we very occasionally go down to London and we have a couple of days in London, and London is a vibrant, amazing city as any capital city is. But you know, when I've been there for two days or three days, I yearn to get back to you know yes. country yes and there was one classic occasion when we were walking down downing street and and you come to a horse cars parade and we were on the opposite side of the road to a horse cars parade and i said to david i must cross the road and just stroke the horse and, he said, <laughs> yes. and i said oh no we've been away for three days and i haven't smelt horses <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i think so i all. think yeah. You know, that has to be overriding everything else. Mm. But mm. certainly in today's world, I think determination is key. And in our changing world, adaptability. And I like to think that, you know, one of the reasons I've stayed as as viable as I appear to be in our horse industry is adaptability. And, and I'm very, very fortunate in that I've worked certainly in, well, obviously the 20 years when I ran a riding school, I taught, you know, passionate little children of four who wanted to ride like I did, um, right up through the levels. But since leaving the riding school, I've been hugely involved with youth development. And if you don't stay adaptable, yep. <laughs> you don't stay in touch with them. Yes. And... I'm not very good technically, but, you know, I do text and email and WhatsApp and message and mm-hmm. Facebook. And because if you don't, you cannot communicate with today's youngsters. And whether you like it or not, that is the world they grow up in. 
And, you know, again, my my wonderful husband, who's put up with me for 45 years, <laughs> um, when our son was growing up, and, and David used to say, David's my husband and Robert yep. is my son, David used to say, yeah, oh, when I was his age, I couldn't do this, and I didn't have that. And I, I still say it, you cannot make your offspring, your children, or children you work with, you cannot make them a product of your upbringing. Mm. Now, I grew up in a post-war Britain when, um, you know, I, I was a small child when there was still rationing, you know, yes. and you did not waste food. You mended things. You made do with things. But that doesn't exist today. You know, mm. something breaks, goes away, and you get another one. But actually... You can't do that with horses. And, mm. and, you know, that goes through to me one of the the core things that, that young people have to recognize coming into this industry is that there are no shortcuts with horses. There yes. are quick fixes, but there yep. are no shortcuts. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, horses like people need time, clear education pathways, um, consistency, and and all those things that, that hopefully make us good citizens and hopefully make sane horses. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Thinking about horses, has there been a horse in particular that's influenced you more than others? Um, I, I, I mean, my my first horse uh, obviously was was hugely special because when eventually, I mean, I I grew up um, through pony club and. All my friends, because we live in quite a rural um, environment in, in the middle of the UK, um, most of my friends went through the horsey stage. Mm-hmm. And most of them had horses, but I didn't, because my parents were absolutely adamant that <laughs> I was not going to do horses. Yep. Although they let me ride once a week. Uh, and coming back to your, your first question about whether I rode for lessons, and I didn't ride for lessons. You know, my parents paid for me to have a lesson once a week, but I lived at the riding school. Yes. I, I existed every waking minute. So I spent all my holidays there, spent all my weekends there, um, evenings after school. I mean, my parents absolutely despaired of me because <laughs> as soon as I was able to transport myself, which was on a bicycle, you know, I used to cycle up to the stables, which was only a mile and a half away. And in those days, you know, it was very safe to, to ride at crack of dawn and, and dead of night on a bicycle with no lights. Yep, yep, yep. Because <laughs> yep. the that there is these days, you know. Sure. But I mean, um, so, so, yes, I immersed myself in horses, but mm-hmm. all my friends had horses and, and I was not allowed to have a horse of my own until I was 16, by which time I had ridden everybody else's horse in the county because whenever they went away on holiday they was <laughs> right and i rode anything and everything and and that i think uh, imbued me in 
confidence and bravery. And because at the riding school, they used to break youngsters. Um, you know, they'd buy in a, a three-year-old pony that, that off the mountain or, you know, out of yep. the Welsh hills. Yes. And um, we would, my, my friend, who was the daughter of the riding school owner, um, we used to break them in and mm. sort of, you know, rough ride them and kept them reasonably educated and jumping around a little course of fences. And, and um, Jan, who was my close friend, mother was Kath, father was Bert. Bert used to help us to break the ponies. And uh, he used to be so cross if we fell off because <laughs> it wasn't good ponies education. And I was off Bert and what he would say if I fell off the wretched thing and I wasn't falling off. So I made sure I didn't fall off. Uh, and again, you know, looking back, while all my friends had smart ponies that they went to pony club on and all the rest of it, I just rode anything and everything. And that, that made me a rider. <laughs> so, yes, my first horse when I got it was, was amazing. But every horse I've had, I've, I've loved and worked with and then found a nice home for um and and they've all taught me something so yeah they've all been special Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about your friends and was it like by choice or just something subliminal that that you thought well i think my best friend's going to be the daughter of a riding school owner and all my friends are going to have horses was that do you think that was what happened or I think it's what certainly the (laughs) the friend at the riding school that happened because I practically lived there. Okay. She was one of eight children, and Mm -hmm. I was almost the ninth. You know, because I just I just permanently lived there. It was you know it was it was not far from home, Um, and um, I mean I I came from a a very um, my father was a Scot and and he was um, a staunch. church-going Christian, and on a Sunday, we always went to church, and on a Sunday afternoon, Dad always washed the car because we shouldn't work on a Sunday. Okay, fine. And I was not allowed to go to the riding school on a Sunday because, you know, the riding school involved work, and I was not allowed to go to the riding school on a Sunday. <sighs> so eventually, when I, when I got my bike, and I was probably about 11, I suppose, and I was allowed to go out on my bike on a Sunday. And then I used to reckon that if I walked the dog on a Sunday, and if I walked the dog to the riding school, tied him up to the fence for the afternoon, which annoyed him intensely, <laughs> I could work at the riding school. So, you know, I got round it because I used to go for a bike ride to the riding school, and I used to walk the dog to the riding school on a Sunday afternoon. And eventually, you know, it, it just evolved like that. So, yeah, there are ways and means. That's determination. Um, yes, yes, definitely, that, definitely. You know, throughout my career, every time anybody has put up a barrier, I've found a way either around it or over it. Um, and mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. really helped get me where I've got today, which is still hopefully reasonably viable in the horse industry. Yes, I'm thinking about, you know, to get to where you are, you've got to know horses. You've got to understand them. You've got to have a special depth of understanding yeah. about horses. You're not just, not just, you know, how to ride a movement, but to understand them, to connect with them, to understand the character. Has there been a particular person that you think who's influenced you more than others 
to actually gain that depth of knowledge or to start to understand horses more? Um, well, I think Kath certainly, uh, the riding school owner. Uh, yes. I mean, her whole ethos was empathy, understanding, reading the horse. Okay. Uh, you know, there were several ponies. I mean, in riding school ponies, the riding school ponies, they're amazing creatures. Having run a riding school sure. for yep. years, they are wonderful, wonderful creatures because they, um, a good riding school pony will will go according to the caliber of rider that rides it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes. if, if it needs to look after somebody, it will tootle around and look after somebody. If somebody has more competence and the pony has more competence, they'll raise its game and it will raise its game with them. Um, mm-hmm. And and there was one grey pony called Jill when I first started at the riding school. And Jill was about, probably about 12 too, I suppose. Maybe you mentioned it, men, um, measuring centimetres, but sorry, I don't. Um, but it, <laughs> she was a little pony. And when you mounted her, if you didn't have a very strong hold of the outside rein to keep her head bent to the right while you mounted on yes, her, yes. it you on the bum. <laughs> <laughs> and I was terrified of Jill because she regularly bit me on the bum. And <laughs> I knew that I, but I loved riding her. Once I was on her, it was yep. fine. And I always hoped there was somebody there to help me mount her, you see. And one day, um, there wasn't anybody to help me. And Cass said, come on, Isla, get on Jill. And I, oh, but she bites me. Well, hold on to the outside rein, and then she can't turn her head to bite. Oh, nobody had ever told me that. They'd all, <laughs> They'd all showed me how to mount, holding on to Jill. Nobody had ever told me yes. to hold the outside rein. And Cass was so practical like that. She would just say, just do so and so. Yes. Amazing. And it would be very specific to the problem at the time. And then I mm-hmm. learned from that that actually horses horses are and I use this quote so many times, particularly with young people. Horses are horses. When you take the tack off them and let them go, they either run away and then find grass or they just find grass. You know, they yes. do not ah, Now, here's Isla coming along. She's not very competent, but act, so actually when she puts her foot in the stirrup, I'm going to bite her on the bum. They just know <laughs> that if they are not controlled with the outside rain, they can bite the child on the bum, and that causes some mayhem. But, yes. you know, yes. um, and little by little, I think, that, that ethos with Kat, who was very pragmatic and just thought it out, you know, I've mm-hmm. learned over the years to manage the situation, but in a in a very, um, I mean, uh, my whole ethos is I love horses, and therefore horses work with us um, not because they have to, but because we make them our partners, and therefore we need to recognise how privileged we are to have them in our lives. You know, they don't choose to be there, but I do believe that they they benefit from the the relationship with us because they're very, mm-hmm. very 
giving creatures. You know, they yes. they are, I wouldn't go so far, they're not loving like dogs are, but they're certainly empathetic creatures. Mm-hmm. You treat them mm-hmm. well, you get back that empathy. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a little bit about riding, training, but I'd like you to compare that when you first started teaching, thinking, you know, because I think you've got a good handle on the younger generation, you know, the work that you do with them, you know, just thinking about the youth dressage, the youth development, coach education, the changing needs of the riders, you know, so the riders that you used to train when you first started and the younger riders, I'm thinking the young riders, yeah. you know, youth young riders, the riders that you used to train and the riders that you train now, do you think that the training of riders needs to change or is it still the same as what it was? Are uh, you still giving and teaching the same way or has your style changed because of a younger generation having different needs? Hmm. Um it's, yes, there are two lines on that. The second question, has my style changed to meet the needs of the younger generation? It, it has to, because uh-huh. many young people, um, certainly in the UK, are, um, are not brought up um, with the strictures that we were brought up with, because they are in a different generation. You know, everything's mm-hmm. very available. There, there are no, um, well, I say there are no immediate threats. You know, as I say, I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s when, uh, you know, we were coming out of a, a highly oppressed time when nobody had anything and they didn't know whether there was going to be a tomorrow or not. Um, and that, yes. that, that, that sort of feeling was still very prevalent Um um, whereas, you know, to all intents and purposes, um, yes, of course, it, sadly, there have been wars, but not a world war. Um, and and so young people um, have far more um, expectation of instant results. Okay. Yep. In everything. We don't have to work as hard for the opportunities and the good things in life that we used to 50 years ago. And that is mm-hmm. life. You know, everybody gets on an airplane and everybody has a car. And I'm generalizing, obviously, but and, and anybody yes. who wants a horse can have a horse. Mm-hmm. And television, social media, we see everything instantly now. We we see, obviously, the horror side of things like, you know, the, the war in Yemen and, and the situation in Syria. But mm-hmm. almost by seeing it on our television screens, it dumbs down the, the horror of it. Um, mm-hmm. We become, okay, head in the sand about it. Okay, that's not my problem. It's in a different country. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, and so I believe that young people are, are today much more focused on their self-gratification. And that, you know, that, that isn't meant to sound um, derogatory. Good for them. But they see, mm-hmm. they, they see the golden goals 
and they want them, don't we all? But actually, yep. the, they they have very sometimes they have very unrealistic expectations. So coming back to is that of themselves or or of what's given to them? Well, I've, I've you know unfortunately no, we shouldn't say unfortunately, but what is given to them is often very easily achieved, either by their parents mm -hmm. or even by themselves. I mean, I, I still have the first black jacket, a competition jacket, that I ever had. Yep. Uh -huh. 16 years old. Believe it or not, it still fits me. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've had it for, well, 16 I won't go into it, but, you know, over 50 years. <laughs> and and it means the world to me that I can still ride in it and get into it and I'm yes. competing on Saturday yes. and go and wear it on Saturday. Uh, and, and, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. You break your computer, mm -hmm. you get another one. You know, you break your yep. horse, you get another one. And we live in a in a much more instant throwaway society and that is detrimental to determination adaptability um commitment um and that has to impact then on many of the people we try to educate and going back to how i i mean i i taught in a let's say a military style because that's how we were mm -hmm. brought up in in the sort of um well i i started my equestrian career in 1970 um so that that was how we were taught you do this you do that you yep. don't ask questions shut up if you can't do it try harder um mm. you know if, if if you can't do it you're either useless or you're not trying hard enough okay and then in, in the night, I can't remember when I did it, probably mid-90s, I suppose. Yeah, because I ran the riding school and then I, you know, was um, probably in the mid-90s. I did a degree in education and that completely revolutionized my thinking, probably, because it <laughs> opened up the whole um, area of people learning different ways. Not everybody wants to be yelled at. Some people do still want to be yelled at. Some people want to work it out for themselves. Some people need to work it out for themselves. So from the mid-90s, I completely um, rebuilt my methods of delivery, I suppose, and enhanced yes. my methods of delivery um, and, and handed... And it was revolutionary because up until that point, uh, as an instructor, um, and I actually did my uh, thesis for my degree on um, the role of the educator in equestrian sport, and I did research on whether you're a teacher, an instructor, or a coach. So I picked up those three terms. Now, if you go to Europe, Germany or France or Holland or um, Scandinavia, they go, why do you have all these different words for the same thing? Because actually, yep. today, we're all educators. 
And we have had so much argument in the UK about we used to be instructors, now we're coaches. Mm. No, mm. we're just mm. educators. Okay? Yep. Sometimes yep. you need to, if you take instruct as tell someone what to do, sometimes you need yep. to tell someone what to do. So if they are being run away with galloping down the sand towards breakwater, you need somebody telling you what to do. <laughs> so I didn't have anybody. Yes. So I Yes. Because <laughs> we were all in the same boat. Um, yep. Sometimes as a coach, you watch existing competence and you make suggestions that build on that existing competence. Now, that existing competence... So I have this big argument with people who say, well, I'm an instructor. I teach in a riding school. Yes, I taught in a riding school for 20 years. And believe me, when you have had a child who comes for their first lesson and they've never done anything with horses before, you teach them about putting the reins over the head, tightening the girth, Mm -hmm. and so on. The The following week when they come, you say to them, What do you remember from last week? Oh, I put the reins over the head. That is coaching. That is building on an Mm. existing piece of knowledge. But actually, people don't do that because it's much easier just to tell the child how to do it again because it's quicker. But actually, by telling them what to do again and again, you do not hand the responsibility to the person to say, I know how to do that. You don't need to tell me how to do that. Now, some children learn quicker than others. So yep. some in in one session will know how to tighten the girth and put the reins over the head. Some will take six sessions. Mm. That then becomes your skill as, a, as an educator to know the ones that need the extra support and the ones that are already high-flying on that area of expertise. So then you give them another bit of expertise. And as far as I'm concerned, we are all educators. We are all trying to give more passion, information about the the creature that we all love to someone that doesn't have that. But, you know... uh, Sometimes I'm an instructor, sometimes I'm a teacher, sometimes I tell someone what to do, and sometimes I encourage them to mm-hmm. find out for themselves. And that's okay. where the, yep. the degree in education opened up the whole remit, really. Yes, yes. Thinking about um, horses, you know, because post-war, you know, even after the Industrial Revolution and, you know, a little bit more the automobiles and people thought that horses were going to die out. They just thought, well, we don't need them anymore. We don't need them to ride into the armed forces. We don't need them, you know, to pull ploughs. So horses will die out. And then, of course, there's the leisure industry that took over. What do you think now is in store for horses? There's been a lot of equine communication, equine-facilitated learning therapy. Is that where horses are going? Are they going to be used more as sports horses, you know, in different phase, you know, I'm thinking dressage, show jumping, eventing, but it's not just that. It's Western sports. It's stock, you know, there's there's so many polo, polo cross, there's so many other sports that, that we use them for, for leisure. Where do you think we're going? Well, I think horses will always be in our lives. Well, I hope they will. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I don't think there's any question of that. Um, 
I think we have, I mean, what, again, I'll elaborate while I just think of that. Um, mm. as, you, as you said at the beginning, I've traveled all over the world with my career, which has been all inspiring. Yes. And one of the things I always say is the horse is a horse wherever it is. It doesn't make mm-hmm. any difference whether it's in California where they have no grass, in Hong Kong where they have no grass, in the UK where we have loads of grass. Um, it doesn't matter what, where the horse is. The horse is a horse. The thing that affects it is our history, our culture, our climate, and, and therefore and our very close neighbour, as you know, is, is Germany. Um, yep. Germany has a, a huge discipline of producing uh, trained horses in all, th- in well, certainly in all three disciplines, but predominantly in dressage and show jumping. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a, a massive breeding program. So we, as a country, have always struggled to compete with them on on certainly on dressage terms. And still, although we are now uh, very near the top in dressage, we have a very, very small pool of expertise in dressage still in this country. Our strength is in eventing. You know, we are still probably the eventing capital of the world, although you guys are pretty hot stuff and so are the, the <laughs> Kiwis and, you know, Germany caught us up for a while, but we're getting back on top again. But, but do you see what I'm saying? Basically, the horse is a horse. The thing that changes it is our history and our culture. There will always be horses. I'm absolutely certain of that. I think the ability mm-hmm. of how we can now use them, in inverted commas, has to be of value to the horse. Um, but we have to come back to the fact that the horse is a horse and needs to be treated humanely with um, a great depth of understanding about what he is as a as a as a creature in his own right. Um, and therefore, those of us that are deeply entrenched in the horse industry um, must maintain the um, depth of knowledge that there is about the horse as a horse. And it's very interesting mm-hmm. you saying about the behaviorist I- I- issue, because um, those of us that have been brought up with horses, you learn that as as part of your, you know, part of your upbringing. But people who yep. come into horses for whatever reason, either because you know financially they're in a position to indulge themselves, they they maybe don't have that background of looking at a horse and thinking, hmm, that might bite me, or that might bite me off. Yep, mm, that's not a happy yep. bunny. Um, mm. And so actually. Much of the direction of things now is towards understanding the horse and the horse's behavior and um, coming back to what I would say uh, are the basics of good management and, and treatment of the horse. The Dutch have just brought out a, um, a new three-year qualification, which is orientated completely about uh, the horse's behavior and um, 
ethical management of it and, um, you know, some of the Monty Roberts techniques and um, some of the, um, I mean, for want of a better term, horse whispering techniques of actually understanding what makes horses tick. Um, and I think I think we need to um, uh, not rebuild it, but certainly maintain it as a strength. Yeah, for the yeah. horses. Yeah, we've actually had a review of um, our training packages too and we've just done a certificate too in horse care and right from those foundational skills, you know, as saying you can't just go in and do a horse course. You've got to understand the horse. You've got to have an understanding of horse behaviour. You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to look after horses. You've got to be able to handle horses. And that's starting off right at that certificate two stage and – you have to be able to have those foundational skills before you go any higher. And if you don't have them, you can't just go in and do something like at a diploma level. Um, you've got to have these foundational that's, skills first. That's yeah, really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I think yeah. every is is moving towards that because, mm-hmm. again, going back to the point I made earlier about anybody can buy in, – in the UK now, you can go to a sale and pick up a horse mm-hmm. for next – and so because in this country, riding schools are, are struggling. Yes. They are struggling from the point of view of rateable value, staff, okay. um, all, all, the, all the reasons that makes riding schools difficult to run these days mm. means that there are less riding schools for people like me to learn to ride in. Yes. And one of the things I keep saying is Charlotte had to learn to ride somewhere. Yep. I had to learn somewhere. Yep. You know, if you don't learn to ride in your back garden because your father is a farmer, you have to learn to ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, people are now buying a horse and keeping it on a pocket ha- pocket handkerchief of a piece of grass with no company and and little understanding of what they're doing. And mm. the horse is suffering. Yes. And so, yes. yeah, absolutely essential that, that we maintain and develop those skills through our education programmes. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Yes, and and I think too, you know, people think they're doing the cheap option by buying a horse. You know, I I pay this much for a lesson. I may as well have my own horse so I can ride it any time I like. But often it's quite an expensive lesson, buying your own horse too early before you're ready for it. You know, go to a riding school, get your lessons in. So you don't need to go and buy your first pony and then have to sell that and buy your second pony. Buy your first, don't buy your first pony. Go to a riding school. Learn the basics under the supervision of someone who knows yep. what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Isla, what have you got planned yourself for the future? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I can't believe how quickly the years go. I mean, everybody says, oh, the older you get, the faster they go. <laughs> and my goodness, are they right? And, um, you know, we sail through life. Uh, taking taking life for granted to a degree, um, and then you know certain situations uh, come up and smack you in the face. And um, I mean, I I want to stay involved in the the career that is my passion mm-hmm. for as long as people want me to be involved. So while I am while my diary is still full. 
obviously people want me. So um, that that's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a period, I suppose 2000 was, was a, a fairly grim year for me because I'd neglected my back for a long time. My father, as a doctor, kept telling me that when I staggered home, having been bucked off another three-year-old, <laughs> or I'd carried too many bales of hay over to the ponies and done my back, he used to say to me, you'll suffer, this. You'll suffer in your 40s and 50s. You will be in trouble. And indeed, mm. he was right. Mm-hmm. In 2000, major back surgery on a very, very bad prolapse disc. And I did for a while after that think that, you know, my riding uh, was limited. Um, and then about, uh, and I, 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 I sold my last horse. who I was competing at Priest St. George. Um, hadn't jumped for a while, but, but was sort of going down the dressage route more because you do when you get older because you don't want to hit the deck quite so often. Um, and then through, I suppose, through the early 2000s, I didn't ride as much and I, I put a lot of effort into my coaching and my coach development and and, and just being a better educator. Yes. Uh, wrote a few books and, you know, so that, that was a busy time with the difference. And then... Um, probably about four years ago, I thought, why am I not riding? Why have I stopped riding so much? Uh, and I would ride, you know, perhaps once a month or four times a year. Or I mean, I think it was about 2014 or 15. I thought, I'm not riding at all. Mm. And I've one delightful um, pupil who I've taught since she was six and she's now 19 and actually she's in New Zealand at the moment and I'm riding all her horses while she's away <laughs> well two of them but I have started seriously riding again Good. Um, I, I do Pilates training with an amazing girl called Veronica who has shown me that actually my left leg still will work even though I've had back surgery and I'm riding better than I've ridden for, I can't remember. Oh, good. 20 good. Anyway. Yep. And absolutely loving it. So I'm very happy to be riding and working horses again. Um, I love my coaching. Um, and, you know, while, that, that, while I'm still in demand, then I shall keep going for as long as I can. And um, I'm in the process of writing another book um, in conjunction with Pammy Hutton, who yes. um, many of you will know through mm-hmm. Talent School of Equitation. Pammy's a very close friend of mine. And we are in the process of um, hopefully putting together a book on longevity of horses and riders in the horse industry. Because if you think about okay. Nick Skelton's yes. part, yes. winning his medal um, at the age of 58, having broken his neck and thought he'd never ride again, mm-hmm. All power to him, and we think there's some value um, in writing a book about longevity. And also within it, we're going to develop the whole aspect which you touched on um, about the horse's role in disadvantaged children, uh, autistic children, um, people who, for whatever reason, have been uh, disenfranchised from society, ex-offenders, the the, the 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 opportunities for the horse in the rehabilitation of damaged lives is massive, 
and we thought it was time we wrote about it. Brilliant, brilliant idea. Yep. So that's the agenda. Yes, yes. So I think that keeps busy, and I have <laughs> two delightful grandsons, mm-hmm. James, who's coming up four next month, and Tom, who's two in April. I have them on a Thursday, and <laughs> this may amuse your listeners or not. Um, I treat them just like the horses, you know. I feed them when they want to be fed. I discipline them when they need to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. They are the life of their life. They're absolutely delightful, and we have such fun on a Thursday. Okay. And people yep. often say to me, oh, aren't you exhausted having your grandchildren on a Thursday? And I say, no, it's a day off for me. <laughs> 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 so, yes, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got lots in my life and a, mm-hmm. an amazing husband who's, you know, supports me while I'm I should think it impossible to live with, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think horse people are just a breed of their own. People either understand them or don't. And it sounds like he does. So, well, yeah, lucky. Fortunately, yes. Yep, yep. All right. Now, before we go, I, I need to get your contact details in case anyone would like to contact you. But just a lesson. You know, if you sum up your philosophy with horses into a sentence or two, and then um, we'll talk about your contact details before you say goodbye. Okay. Um, well, I my older sister, who I mentioned uh, right back at the beginning, um, sadly died at the age of 48 mm-hmm. of cancer. And that, that was life-changing, obviously, for all sure. of us. Because, you know, it's on the cards to lose your parents, but it's not on the cards to lose your siblings. That was... A, a huge, huge, um, yeah, setback in in my life, and and so ever since then, I live for the day, and I seize the opportunities, uh, and and ne- never put off till tomorrow what I can do today and the good I can do today because she never had that opportunity. Um, I also recognize how privileged we are to share our lives with horses um and we should never forget that either mm-hmm. and um you know my father's philosophy of you know every day i learn something um and when i don't learn something or i don't want to be better than i was yesterday then then you know i shall do something else <laughs> <laughs> okay okay I think by the sounds of it, that's um, not going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> now I like contact details. If people would like to contact you, if they've got questions, if they would like to fill your diary or anything else, how can they do it? Is that what's the best way? Well, I don't want to be overwhelmed because mm-hmm. time is is a real problem for me. But yes. I, I mean, I am on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm a little bit strategic about who my friends are, but I seem to have about a thousand, which is lovely. (laughs) No Um, worries at all. I do tend to pick up um, foreign contacts. I mean, if, if, you know, if there's been a a contact, obviously, as a result of of, um, a connection through others, uh, other friends. I mean, let me put it this way. If I see that a Facebook um, request comes through from someone that I already have several friends with, yes. then I usually let it through. Okay. If it's somebody I never heard of, 
and haven't a clue about, then I, I don't accept it. But Facebook is probably the easiest way. Okay. No worries. Well, we'll put that Facebook link on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Isla Orty, and Isla is I-S-L-A-Y and Orty, A-U-T-Y. You could go to uh, horsechats.com, search for Isla or search for Orty, and you'll find that, and those contact details will be at the bottom of the page. And, uh, look, I've got to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I think you've given people a lot of insights in, um, you know, not just your philosophy but the changing role, which is, what your book's about, and I think we need to talk to you when you've written your book and tell people about it. And when do you think it'll be yeah. out? Um, it's still very much in the embryonic stage. I mean, I hope by by January I'll mm-hmm. have a time scale for it. Okay, I'll possibly contact you um, and let you know. Perfect, perfect. All right, thanks very much for the chat. We'll talk to you soon. Indeed, thanks very much, Lennis. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.